ladies and gentlemen, and thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We are kicking off a great new fall season here at 2018 with a great guest tonight, a fantastic guitar player named George Marinelli. He's helping us kick off the season, and we are going to be listening to his fantastic new record called Burn It All Down. Though you might not have met him or even heard of George. You have heard him every week as he plays guitar on the Wall of Power Radio Hour theme song. George is an amazing guitarist who has played with Bruce Hornsby in the range and for the last many years has been playing with Bonnie Raitt. I met George in 1992 when I recorded my record Whistling Past the Graveyard in Nashville at Moondog Studios owned by Bucky Baxter who was playing with Bob Dylan at the time and longtime Bruce Springsteen bass player Gary Talent. We're going to be chatting with George today, listening to his great new record, talking about his past, his present, and his future. So with no further ado, my friend, George Marinelli. George, hello. Hey, Paul. How are you doing? Hi, everybody. Yeah, it's great to have you. You know, I saw uh, the Bonnie Raitt, James Taylor show at the XL in St. Paul, the end of June, and a, a, a wonderful show. Uh, by both bands, but I was reminded of how much I love your guitar playing. Oh, thank you, man. It was a fun show. The whole, <clears throat> excuse me, the whole, these past couple of summers with James Taylor has been a real kick. And I'm sorry, I missed you backstage. Yeah. We had common friends back there. And Well, the great, uh, the great Stan Kipper, who has fronts one of the, uh, what I call the new primitives, what I call the uh, Twin Cities version of the Neville Brothers, Played yeah. with you back way back in the day. Who did Stan and you play for, George? We we played with a guy uh, named Andrew Gold, sure. who used to be in Linda Ronstadt's band, and and uh, had a good career on his own. Had a bunch of hit records. Yeah, what were some of his hits, George? Uh, uh, thank you for being a friend, <laughs> lonely boy. Wow. And uh, I honestly don't remember the other titles, but he actually. He had a lot better material than those two hits. So mm-hmm. he was a real talented guy, yeah. George, where did you grow up? I grew up on Staten Island in really? New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, where the ferry boat goes back and forth between Manhattan and Staten sure. Island. I could look out my window and see the Statue of Liberty, and I could see boats coming in and out of the harbor, big cruise ships and everything. And yeah, my dad worked on the docks. He was wow. Worked for the railroad and all my uncles and... They all work for the railroad, too, yeah. Well, I imagine, uh, I don't know, you guys might be about the same age, but David Johansson from the New York Dolls was from Staten Island. I know, and we've never met. And also, um, oh, what's the guitar player's name who played with Bowie on and off forever? I'll think of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I really like his playing, and he's also from Staten Island. He's another guy I haven't uh, met, but would like to one day. Well... Uh, you and I are Twitter buddies, and we've yep. been buddies now since, you know, we, we recorded, oh, geez, almost 25 years ago. We I were know. just young men with a dream, George. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we were. But uh, <laughs> you, uh, you know, you are uh, very political and very outspoken, and um, uh, it's got to have something to do with waking up every day, looking out your window and seeing the Statue of Liberty and learning to love America. Yeah, yeah, I still I still can draw on that and, and remember the words, or at least know the words, not that I can recall them, but the words that are, you know, written on there, get mm-hmm. you tired, you poor, et cetera. And uh, that should mean something. Uh, my, my grandparents, uh, they sailed out of Naples. Wow. All four grandparents sailed out of Naples and went right by there and into Ellis Island. And... Um, you know, we're all immigrants, and right. America needs to embrace that. Well, my uh, great-grandfather, John Metza, came in from Helsinki uh, with uh. his wife to Ellis Island. And the original, Metza in Finn means woods or forest. So, But when uh, great-grandpa came in, it was Metza Vinyl was the whole name, but they cut the vinyl off at Ellis Island. Oh, they did? Wow. Yeah. And years ago, I bumped into a guy uh, who was visiting from Finland at a party, and I introduced myself, and I said, yeah, I'm Finnish. I said, uh, I gave him my name, and he said, well, you know, Metsa means woods or forest 
in in Finn? And I said, yes, but I said, originally it was Mezzavino. I said, what does that mean? And without skipping a beat, he said, oh, that means lost in the woods. Oh, no. So, well, that explains a lot, Paul. <laughs> I don't know. You Art- know, I thought I thought it was like half, because in Italian, it's half, like Mezzaluna is a half moon. Mm-hmm. Oh, funny. So, George, when did you uh, when did you pick up the guitar for the first time? I uh, my family moved from New York when I was turning fourteen. Moved to L.A. and um, my mom saved up trading stamps they used to have. Right? Oh yeah, my my mom had guitar for my fifteenth birthday. Green stamps, my mom had. Yeah, same one. Mm -hmm. S.H. Green stamps, Mm -hmm. and the guitar was unbelievably horrible and. You know, I think, I think that means something because if you really want to play, you're going to play anything. And right. this thing, the strings were nowhere near the rest of the guitar. Right. <laughs> the action was horrible, and it was. Maybe and it I was. tell people that now. You know, oh, I want to get my kid a guitar. What should I get him? I, you know, I usually say get him a crappy guitar. George, George, maybe it was a dobro. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it might have been an upright bass. Actually, <laughs> that's funny. Oh. So, so yeah, I was 15 when I first started. Okay, what were you, a late bloomer. What were you listening to? Oh, I was listening to the Beatles and sure. the Stones. Yeah, well, all you, that stuff. Uh, when Hendrix came out, I dove into that, and um, and then after that, I kind of got into a lot of R and B and funk music, and then I've always tried to to broaden the direction, even still. Well, you know the. Um your record, which I absolutely love, called Burn It All Down, and we're going to be playing four tracks over the course of uh, the show tonight on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. You've got a really uh, Keith Richards rhythm vibe happening on a lot of those tunes. Yeah, I, uh, I admire Keith. He's a, he's a really inventive guy. People don't realize, you know, maybe stylistically what it is he sort of invented he sort of took the Chuck Berry thing and continued and continued with it. And he doesn't have chops. He's not a flash player at all. Um, guitar players who are, you know, younger and starting out, they just look right over that stuff. But for me, it's about songs and it's about parts you can remember after they stop playing the record. And right. when a guitar player stops playing, you can remember maybe what he played. And Keith's, you can put on their greatest hits records and listen to the first 10 seconds of any of those songs. Right. There's an incredible hook there that have become, you know, part of the uh, fabric of pop music. So the guys, I think he's pretty amazing. He's doing nuts, but he's amazing. <laughs> you know, if I can name drop here for a minute, <clears throat> I had the pleasure of meeting the great John Hammond Sr. Mm-hmm. in uh, a couple of times in uh, 1983 and 1984. And uh, he told me after I first met him, it was amazing. He had a, uh, a fourth floor apartment at uh, at 311, uh, 311 West 57th in New York. The same mm-hmm. apartment building that Bella Bartok used to live in. And wow. uh, so he had a little office and a secretary. And then his uh, went to use the restroom. He had an old claw hammer tub filled with, I'm going to guess, 400 cassette demo tapes. And, wow. Uh, so he listened to a half hour of my stuff. And the first thing he told me as I was leaving, and he couldn't have been nicer, was he said, Paul, the next time you come here and you play me your songs, I want to be able to whistle them while you're leaving. Mm. And that yeah. was always stuck with me, you know. Uh, get a good melody, get a good riff, you know. Those things last a long time. Yeah, there's so much music that I listen to, and there's so many players I listen to that while I'm listening to it, it's not memorable. And in a right. second, it stops. It's gone. I mean, it's it's just so much fluff. Yeah, you know? and, and candy. People really, yeah. And I'm not saying I have it nailed by any stretch, but I wish there were more people writing um, with more emphasis on melody and on new chord changes, not the same right. G E minor C D that everybody is using right. on every song nowadays. It's, it's it's stale. Well, if you listen, <coughs> excuse me, listen to a lot of Americana music, uh, I, you know, I've been saying for years, everybody, let's take a year off using a G chord. <laughs> 
Everybody. You know what I mean? Everybody. Don't, yeah, you're not allowed. <laughs> just can't do it. That, well, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. You know what I'm saying? It's just... Yeah. Uh, that's just the way it's done, unfortunately. But anyway, we've got George Mar Marinelli on, uh, a good buddy of mine who I haven't seen in years. I saw him play with Bonnie Raitt. We're going to talk about what it's like to play with Bonnie Raitt and tour with James Taylor and all that. But he's got a great new record out called Burn It All Down. We're going to listen to the title track. In 20 seconds or less, uh, George, tell us what the song's about. What that song is about? Yeah. Um, I would say it's it's basically about it it's sort of a metaphor for what's going on now. It's so I was sort of writing it in you know, trying to act like like King in his castle and everybody else. You know, the the rich get rich and the poor get poor. Right. And that's what's happening now in America and that's kinda of what the song is about. Metaphor for that. Burn it all down, George Marinelli, and uh, we'll be back. The uh, whole show tonight in the Wall of Power Radio Hour with George. So dig the tune. Everybody, this is Paul Metza inviting you to my New Year's Eve party, a benefit for Metro Cable Channel 6, where you can watch my show, Wall of Power TV, every weekend at 8 and 11.30. It's going to be at the studio, 1229 Northeast 2nd Street, on New Year's Eve, with great musicians like Dan Israel, Mary Cucciarello, Pete Sandvik, and myself. Get tickets at mcn6.org. It's for a good cause. It's going to be a great night. Northeast Acoustic New Year's, mellow into 2019. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Catch New Beginnings with Freddie Bell, Saturdays at 11 on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. The number one source of the Twin Cities gay scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities gay scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. Native Earth Radio is proud to announce we're adding an extra hour. One hour's too fast. That's right, Uncle Curtis. Great. More time for me to share important information about our sacred animals. And report national Native news with reporters all around the country. Saturdays from 1 to 3 p.m. We are awake. Find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and streaming live on Facebook. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. 
If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. You're listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Tonight, we're featuring four guests from the Wall of Power Radio Hour in 2018. Paul Metza wants to wish you a very merry 2019, and he thanks you for listening. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. My guests in the studio all night tonight, Mr. and Mrs. Richard and Karen Painter, both professors at the University of Minnesota. Karen, you teach musicology. What exactly uh, part of classical musicology or, or everything? What exactly? Here, I teach yeah. uh, mostly 20th century. Okay. I teach a freshman seminar every fall called Music in Nazi Germany. Wow. And usually the students have uh, no background in music. Maybe they played an instrument some, and they're intrigued by the title. Also, in the course, we discuss um, related issues in, in contemporary American life and in the world, um, and it counts, therefore, as a particular kind of civic um, ethics requirement for hmm. undergraduates. So um, this is an interesting time to be discussing parallels and related contemporary right, issues right. to Nazi Germany. Uh, if that course enrolls well, then I teach um, courses on 20th century music, mostly for the music students, huh. the performers at the School of Music. You know, I had uh, I tried to get into the uh, University of Minnesota Music School more to please my parents than anything, because if, if back then, anyway, if you got a degree, your only real options professionally were playing in an orchestra or teaching, and I was more interested in becoming a, a performer. But I remembered I was talking to an uh, artist friend of mine, James Reggae, who's a beautiful abstract expressionist. And I said, geez, you've got, you know, hundreds, thousands of years of art. Where do you go to study um, to learn what you want to do? And he said, I'm just interested in the last 100 years. And so when you said 20th century music, that really uh, responded with me because I thought, great, there my parameters are July fourth, nineteen hundred, when Louis Armstrong was born, up to uh, nineteen ninety nine when Frank Sinatra passed away. I said, those are my two bookends for twenty century American music for me. What? Um, let's get back to this music in Nazi Germany. So, what? Uh, tell us more about it. That's fascinating. We look at the way uh, classical music, music. Students know and want to know more about Mozart, Beethoven, Wagner, the way those great figures were exploited by the Nazis. And then we look at also the repression against Jewish musicians, persecution, and the way that music was used in political contexts in Nazi Germany. We also look at the, what, the parallels between music and life. For example, it's thought that Hitler shaped his speeches by drawing inspiration from the opera composer Richard Wagner. So we look at political speeches today and think about them as music. What is the high point? How do they develop? What is the use of repetition in political speeches? Boy, that is so fascinating. Now, was uh, Wagner, was, was he a Nazi or was he just a German composer that Hitler co-opted? That's a huge question because he died in the later 19th century. We know that he wouldn't have encountered Nazism. However, he was an anti-Semite, and he became more virulent in his anti-Semitism late in life. Hitler claimed he couldn't have become who he was without the inspiration of Wagner. But then we know the most famous Zionist, Theodor Herzl, who wrote the tract that inspired the foundation of Israel, also said that he couldn't have written that without going to Wagner's operas. Hmm. So it's a complex question. How do you draw inspiration from music? Right. And is the music to blame? Was Wagner, was that Ride of the Valkyries? What was his, the one that is most popular, still performed? That's um, gained such popularity from Apocalypse Now. Uh, it's used there. Um, that's taken from Die Valkyr, which is his most right, popular right. opera to be pulled out from the whole opera cycle. That's fascinating. Now, as a, as a child, I was so 
enamored with the rhythms of Martin Luther King and, uh, and the way he spoke. And, of course, Martin Luther King was inspired by all the great uh, gospel performers, Mahalia Jackson, uh, Aretha Franklin, and the rest, and the, everything he heard in church. But I never quite... Um, I thought about it, I guess there was no reason to think about it, that, that Hitler had his rhythmic uh, language inspired by, by pieces of music. That's fascinating. He was a famous orator. It's painful to listen to his speeches today. But yeah. Um, we try to listen to different speeches and think about how to analyze them as if they were musical works. Mm -hmm. If you lived in the 18th century, you would study rhetoric, and delivering speeches would be an important part of your education. And so composers studied rhetoric as well as uh, politicians and just educated individuals. Wow. Now, Richard, have you learned quite a bit from your wife about music? Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh and uh, Karen has done work on everything from uh, Mozart uh, up through. She's taught courses on jazz. and um, uh, So I've, I've learned a lot from her. What do you have on the boombox over the weekend, or do the kids take that over? The kids try to take it over. <laughs> we have about two or three competing DJs in the house in terms of what's going on, what's being blasted while they're doing homework. Karen, what is your, uh, over the years... Besides classical music, what other kinds of music do you like, and who are some of your favorite artists? That's a fantastic question. My taste is somewhat dated. Um, I love Aretha Franklin. I love blues. Um, I share my kids' love for hip-hop. My son also likes country, so I hear a lot of that. Cool. And it's growing on me. Well, it's like, you know, Willie Nelson said, there's only two kinds of uh, music in America, uh, the blues and the Star Spangled Banner. Richard, what do you like to listen to? Oh, I, I love all the classical music and, and blues, jazz, and I will listen to country with my son, William, uh, who enjoys that, and the hip-hop, uh, pop music. My daughter, Elizabeth, our oldest, our oldest likes uh, pop music, so we, we listen to lots of different types of music. Karen, do you spend much time? I have uh, Richard Painter running for Senate in Minnesota. He's got my vote. He has for several months. We got to know each other. He appeared on my uh, Wall of Power TV show uh, just about a month ago, and uh, we got to know each other. And he did that great dumpster campaign ad in the parking lot of Studio 6 where I tape my show in in northeast Minneapolis. Really quickly, we've got about oh, 40 seconds, Karen. Do you get out on the road much with Richard, or are you taking care of the house and uh, and working at the U? Uh, it's the summer right now, so I'm writing at home. I'm going to be researching at USC next week and taking my youngest daughter and dumping her off in a soccer camp. <laughs> what, what, are you st uh, what are you researching? It's at, on comparative genocides. There's a, a fantastic um, visual archive, and I'd like to start drawing on those resources in my teaching. So I got a grant for a couple thousand bucks to work in the library for a week. Wow. Not bad. Southern California. Good place to be. <laughs> How do you keep up with this brilliant woman, Richard? Answer that when we come back at the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We've got Richard and Karen Painter for the whole show tonight. Not all poor men are honest, not all rich men are thieves But the rich man owns the orchard, you know the poor man raised the leaves And as the world goes around, said all I want to ask is If the rich man owns the land, why must a poor man pay the taxes? Why does justice go so slow? Slow justice slowly goes Poor means stop and rich means go Slow justice slowly goes They say a woman's work is never done And do you wonder why? They can feed half as much with double time on the by and by Well I ain't no big shot doctor, ain't no big shot doctor's kid But I can tell you that my mother never lived in Adam's rib Why does justice go so slow? 
Toyotathon is on. Head to Rudy Luther Toyota and check out the great deals. Rudy Luther has huge model year-end incentives, but it's the continued service which will make you a loyal Luther customer. Get two years maintenance free with every new Toyota purchased, performed in one of the largest volume service departments in the country. They'll never sell you service you don't need. Plus, the Luther Advantage card gets you great discounts at Holiday. Go to RudyLutherToyota.com for all the Toyotathon deals. Rudy Luther Toyota, 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Located just north of 50th in France, the Great Wall Restaurant has provided a delicious taste of authentic Chinese cuisine since 1981. Specializing in Sichuan and Peking dishes, they offer one of the most extensive menus in the Twin Cities. Favorites include hot and sour soup, pan-fried dumplings, and mushu pork with homemade Chinese pancakes. Stop by their Edina location or call for takeout at 952-927-4439. See the full menu at greatwallrestaurant.us. Be sure to pick up your copy of this month's Natural Awakenings magazine, a free local guide to a healthier and more balanced life. Each monthly issue includes timely, local, national, and global stories. Learn about alternative and complementary medicine, nutrition, fitness for body and mind, personal growth, sustainability, and much more. Natural Awakenings can be found at area health food stores, food co-ops, and retail locations. More information is available at NaturalTwinCities.com. That's NaturalTwinCities.com. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. I'm Connie Burek, co-host of Awakened Living Infusion Radio Show. Join Michelle Kitzmiller and I as we focus on all aspects of health, wellness, spirituality, and growth from a mind, body, spirit, emotion perspective. On the Awakened Living Radio Show, we will discuss stress, self-care, fear, happiness, beliefs, communication, joy, pain, trauma, and more. Join us for the Awakened Living Infusion radio show Saturdays at 10 a.m. Let us share with you ways to infuse vitality into life. Stop and listen for a second. Do you hear that? It's peace, quiet, and tranquility. After a busy holiday season, that's what you'll experience at Big Bear Lodge just off the Gunflint Trail. There's always an abundance of snow and winter activities like ice fishing, snowshoeing, snowmobiling, and world-class cross-country skiing. Then cozy up in one of Big Bear Lodge's guest rooms or authentic woodsy cabins. Come find your smile at Big Bear Lodge. More at BigBearLodgeMN.com. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Sam Turnberg. Tonight is partly cloudy with a low around 20. Tomorrow, partly sunny with a high near 32. Monday, cloudy with a high near 29. New Year's Day, mostly cloudy with a high near 4. And Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high near 19. A great way to support both AM 950 and local businesses is to visit one of our advertisers. From Seward Co-op, Electric Fetus, Common Good Books, and more, see a full list of advertisers at am950radio.com. You're listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Tonight, we're featuring four guests from the Wall of Power Radio Hour in 2018. Paul Metza wants to wish you a very merry 2019, and he thanks you for listening. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. I'm having a delightful discussion uh, with Charlie Pierce, a writer and blogger and liberal pundit. You've probably seen him on CNN, maybe MSNBC. Charlie, they haven't asked you on Fox yet, have they? No, they haven't, actually. As a former Murdoch employee, uh, you know, I feel kind of broken up about that. You should have it in there somehow. <laughs> hey, have you ever hung out personally with Rachel Maddow? Because I heard she's a supreme mixologist. She loves her classic she is. cocktail. Uh, yeah, not, not, I haven't hung out in that... Uh, Capacity at when I when I published Idiot America, uh, I was on. I, she was the first interview I did on TV. Oh, really? And then she she was she was in town the night that Scott Brown won the Senate seat, broadcasting from Doyle's, the you know Irish American political theme park bar in Jamaica Plain, <laughs> which is not far from where I used to live. Playgirls and Man of the Year, was I hung out with her and the crew, but uh, she wasn't mixing anything that night. <laughs> but she is she is one of those cocktail people. Yes, yeah, near as I can tell. 
Now, doesn't she live in Massachusetts as well? She lives off the Berkshires, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the name of the town. There's dozens of small towns out there. Uh, but she lives up, you know, with her her, her partner. And apparently she does a lot of fishing, actually. Hmm. We should uh, get her to Hayward. Have her go for money. Yeah, right, right. We'll bring her in for the, the muskie tournament. You and, you and <laughs> Rachel. We could do a live remote. The three with, of us, exactly. Wouldn't that be a ball? And uh, Charlie, when did uh, you really start getting interested in writing? Sixth grade. Okay. Uh, it, it's funny. I was I was at a, a writer's thing, and there were five of us on the panel, and three of us mentioned that we were in fifth, sixth grade when some teacher told us that they liked something we written. It was the first kind of adult praise you got from someone outside your family. In my case, it was Sister Marie DePaul. Okay. In uh, sixth grade at at St. Peter's School in Worcester, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted, you know, that I didn't know how or what field or where I wanted to go, but that's basically what I wanted to do. And then, you know, you get, you know, informed by what you read as you grow up, right? And you develop a voice out of that. And in my case, it was also helped along by the writing of people like, you know, your friend Mr. Dillon and Pete Townsend. Right. Well, you know, it's funny, and I, I can't remember the exact timeline, but. Uh, uh, when I had, um, when I was thinking about writing a book, I think it was, boy, eight years ago now, 2010, I met this guy actually online who had written something about Dylan, uh, and I got a hold of him. He was a writer and an agent. Uh, and ah. I sent him some stuff. Uh, his name will come to me soon. But I sent him some stuff because I had a you know stack of stuff in drawers because I write prose, poetry, songs, and uh, usually all after midnight. So some I can actually understand my handwriting in the morning. Some I can't. A lot of bar napkin uh, ideas as well, uh, which I'm sure you've experienced that. When the muse strikes, you just write it down. Yeah, you you got to have something to write down, absolutely. Yeah, so anyway, so I sent him some stuff. I said, hey, I've got a uh, drawer full of writings. I said, can I send you some stuff? And could you give me an objective view on, uh, you know, on, on following this writing and the stories? And he read it and got back to me and said, I think you've got the beginning of a book. Uh, so I cut a deal with him. I needed, it was a fair deal. It was 1500 bucks, 500 a month. He'd help me edit it and then pitch it. And if he got me a deal, he wouldn't take a commission, but of course wanted to keep help editing it. So I needed my first 500. And I had this uh, guitar, this Blue Ridge guitar, made in Korea beautiful, kind of a J45. And I put it up on Facebook and a fellow by the name of Gary Popovich, uh, ended up buying the guitar, right? And I didn't even know Gary. Somehow we just happened. We had a mutual Facebook friend, so we had a Facebook friend. So then we, I sent him the guitar. I sent me the 500, so that was the beginning of uh, Blue Guitar Highway. And then at some point, um, I don't know if I brought you up or if he brought you up, and Popovich, Pops as we call him, so Charles Pierce used to be my roommate in college. That's right, at, uh, on 24th in Wisconsin. Wow, small world. And then we were kind of uh, Twitter. Ask him, next time you talk to him ask, him, ask him to tell you about the night the hooker who lived next door set her apartment on fire. <laughs> Which I think is the title of my next song, by the way. Um, <laughs> boy, that's got a nice ring to it. Yeah, so it was funny because we were uh, Twittering back and forth. You know how Twitter Gary, is. Gary can pick a little bit, too. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he actually came out. He was in uh, Minneapolis on business about three years ago and came and stayed with me and my gal. And so we picked a little bit. Yeah, he's a very, uh, uh, not only a great guy, but uh, a wonderful musician and a musicologist as well. So we had and, great... and I didn't realize this at the time we were living together, or, or I mean, I didn't realize this until very recently. A golf nut. Oh, yeah, he's insane. And a very good player. Yeah, he's insane. Yeah, and he, and he, and, um, and I guess his gal is, a, is quite a golfer too. Yes, they, they play. Yeah, uh, I met her uh, well, at the Cotton Bowl a couple of years ago. Charlie, and, uh, I, I, Charlie, yeah, I, I mean, he, yeah, uh, he's he's quite a guy. And the, the accidental, you know, it's one of the uh, one of the good things about the internet culture, I guess. Yeah, is well, that like you two people like you and Pop can get together and then wind up talking about me. Yeah, <laughs> and then too, and then you had. Um, uh, 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 I'm forgetting her first name, a Peplin Jack from Virginia, Minnesota. You knew anime too? Pup, anime Pup, Peplin Jack, yeah. uh, an attorney at law in Milwaukee. Yeah, she um, 
She's and, from Virginia. Yeah, and she, I believe, her brother Jim was also a very good labor attorney. He passed away. Jesus, frozen heart attack. Yeah, there's a there's a bakery in her background somewhere too. Kaplan right? Jack's Bakery. It's still there. They've got the best filled long john in town and a sloppy Joe to die for. I go there every time I'm back in Virginia. Um, on my main street in Virginia, Minnesota, town of about 7,500 now. When I graduated from high school in 74, uh, God saw fit to drop the drinking age to 18 years old, and we were able to enjoy on that five-block main drag, which is Chestnut Street, which is why I like to play freight train. Uh, <laughs> my heart down on Chestnut Street was there was... Charlie, and we got to bring you and Popovich up to the end range. At the time, in 74, there was 22 bars in five blocks. That sounds, that sounds about, like the, about like the Milwaukee of my college days. <laughs> yeah. I remember I took a buddy up when I first moved to Minneapolis. I took him up to the range, and so there was two of my buddies from the range, and myself and my Minneapolis pal, and, and uh, he orders a round, I don't know, let's pretend we're drinking rum and cokes, and he orders four rum and cokes, and um, uh, waitress comes back and said, that'll be four fifty. and he said, no, I wanted to buy the round, I wanted to buy all of us. <laughs> she said, you just did. I, yeah, that's, that's uh, I, I, I tell the story all the time, the very first time I went to a Milwaukee Brewers game my freshman year in college, uh, I sat in the bleachers, the Brewers were terrible, so there were plenty of seats available, so I sat down, and a guy came over with a, a a wooden, like one of those old wooden milk crates, and it was filled with crushed ice, and the, you could only see the tops of the beer bottles. <laughs> and he, he asked me a question I was never asked at a ballpark before. How many do you need? <laughs> well, I, I remember. Said, well, we're not in Fenway anymore. Right, right. Well, I remember Superior, Wisconsin, which we lovingly refer to as Soup Down. We drove down, uh, Buddy had a, uh, this is good. 72. We drove down because we heard that uh, they had a pretty lax drinking regulations at the bar in Superior. So I went to a place called uh, Tommy Burns's Bar. I remember uh, beers were a quarter, shots were 50 cents. And I had my grandpa owned a bar, but of course I'd never drank at a bar. I, I didn't really even drink that much at all. I was more of a, uh, I like the, the herbal side of uh, mood <laughs> elevation at the time. Still do to a certain extent. But anyway, so I went up to the bar, and it was about 10 in the morning, and there was you know, four of us, and uh, uh, the bartender came up, an old, old, uh, older gentleman, and said, what do you have? I said, oh, you know, I'm thinking about, I've seen this in cowboy movies, right? I said, I'll have a beer. And he goes, Let, let's try that again. <laughs> so I looked to the guy next to me, and I go, I'll have a Budweiser. And he goes, that's better. <laughs> oh man well we could talk about all kinds of things uh, before I forget I want to give uh, you an invitation to come to Minneapolis then we're going to hike up to the Iron Range oh man I, I, I love it we also got to keep we got to keep uh, we got to keep the energy the energy industry's hands off the boundary waters oh yeah absolutely well of course you know I as you know I had Richard Painter who's running for um, yeah for Al Franken's seat, and he is on fire on that issue because all those, both the Chilean um, uh, company that, mining. Yeah, yeah. that wants to go into the Boundary Waters, and then there's another company that wants to do, it's called Paul, and there's two two issues, Polymet, which is just a little bit uh, east of my hometown, and then right by the Boundary Waters, which is Twin Metals. Uh, the Twin Metals group is owned out of Chile, uh, right. and, and the guy that runs that company is also Ivanka Trump's landlord. Landlord, that's right. Yeah. I've written about. I've written about. This. It's a horrible company too, by the way. They're 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 you know mines and 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 operations in Chile are just dreadful. Yeah, absolutely dreadful. And then the uh, the the people that are running the Polymet operation. Number one, it's that Oleg, whatever the guy we've been reading about, the Russian oligarch, and they do. Yeah. And one of the, the main guys, what was his name? Tony something or other. He ran the BP operation that blew up in the Gulf. Well, it's naturally, he's been promoted, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so these are the folks that are. But, you know, the problem is, and I get it, man. I, I grew up, I'm a, 
Iron Range Prairie Populist, longtime DFL. Yeah. I, I did vote for uh, Jesse Ventura, played it as inaugural, and I also voted for Arnie Carlson, who is a uh, great Republican. I remember Arnie. In yeah. fact, I, cover, I wrote about Jesse's inaugural for Esbar. Oh, man. Did, did, I spent the first week in office with him. Oh, incredible. I, I put together a meeting. I was trying to get farm aid here in 99. Willie Nelson, Jesse Ventura, myself, and a promoter. And uh, so Willie is, is pitching his deal about the full parity for the farmers. And uh, Jesse's got his deal, limited government, blah, blah, blah. And at some point, now Willie drove down. I set it up. Willie was playing up at a casino up in Hinkley about an hour and a half north of Minneapolis. He drove all the way down in his bus to meet Jesse. And Jesse goes, you know, Willie, when, I, uh, <clears throat> when I'm out, in the barn with the horses. It's really Nelson all day long, but when I go back inside, it's Led Zeppelin. <laughs> it's like only in America, right? And That's then, pretty and, funny. And then That's his, pretty funny. And then his wife, Terry, came in with a bunch of swag from the state fair and kind of smoothed everything over. We didn't get the farm aid there, but I was able to uh, hang out with Willie and his bus, and you know where that one went. Well, I can, ima I can imagine the herbal side of life was very... Vigorously pursued. Uh, smoke me up, uh, roll me up, and smoke me when I die. I bet Charlie Pearson, we're going to have him for uh, one more segment on the wall of power. We are just having a delight here. So we'll just uh, see you guys in a little bit. source of the Twin Cities Gay Scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com Hi everybody, this is Paul Metza inviting you to my New Year's Eve party, a benefit for Metro Cable Channel 6, where you can watch my show, Wall of Power TV, every weekend at 8 and 11.30. It's going to be at the studio, 1229 Northeast 2nd Street, on New Year's Eve, with great musicians like Dan Israel, Mary Cucciarello, Pete Sandvik, and myself. Get tickets at mcn6.org. It's for a good cause. It's going to be a great night. Northeast Acoustic New Year's, mellow into 2019. If you're someone that counts on AM950 to bring you the latest in progressive politics, news, and talk, remember, we can't do it alone. Support our many great advertisers and let them know you heard about their business on AM950. If you don't know who to talk to, simply write AM950 on your receipt. AM950 is supported by small, local businesses, so you're not only helping us and those businesses, but our local economy as well. For a complete list of our sponsors, log on to am950radio.com. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. This is Chad, owner of AM950. I've been telling you about my friends at Snap Construction, who are arguably the most well-reviewed exterior construction company in the metro. Don't just take my word for it. Take a look at all their reviews online. Winter is the most cost-effective time of the year to complete your construction project. A majority of Minnesotans choose to have their work completed on their home in the summer when they should be enjoying the weather. As a result, the demand for labor in the summer is much higher. 
The most cost-effective way to improve or restore your home is in the winter due to the lower demand. Right now, Snap Construction is offering an additional 30% off of labor to the AM950 listeners on your next construction project between now and the end of February. Call 612-333-SNAP and mention AM950 for an additional 30% off. As always, Snap Construction stands by their work with a lifetime craftsmanship warranty. Don't wait to get a free estimate by calling 612-333-SNAP or find them online at snapconstruction.com. Financing options available. You're listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Tonight, we're featuring four guests from the Wall of Power Radio Hour in 2018. Paul Metza wants to wish you a very merry 2019, and he thanks you for listening. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metz, and my guest for the whole show tonight, author Pat Thomas, with his great new book, Did It, Jerry Rubin, an American Revolutionary. We just heard uh, Alan Ginsberg singing Going to San Diego. Pat, tell us a little bit about that tune. Well, you know, uh, we mentioned earlier in the show that I interviewed, you know, about 75 people, and I interviewed a lot of famous people, you know, Paul Krasner and Rennie Davis, uh, Bobby Seal, Judy Gumbo. But but some of the funniest stories came from people who, you know, people had never really heard, had heard of. So the originally the Republican uh, convention of 72 was going to be held in San Diego. And so, you know, the Yippies knew that they were going to be protesting as they had in 68. And so Jerry flies into L.A. and he gets he gets picked up at the airport uh, by this uh, DJ at the time named Larry Yurden. And uh, they go to rent a car in Jerry's name. So Jerry goes into this car rental place and the car rental guy goes, now, wait a minute. Are you, you know, are you, are you that, are you that the Jerry Rubin? Right. And Jerry's like, I don't know who you're talking about. You know, you know, that, that, that political bad guy, are you that guy? Jerry's like, never heard of him. Right. <laughs> so, Just give so, me the damn car. Yeah. So, right. So Jerry and Larry, you know, rent the car and they're heading to San Diego from LA and Jerry starts laughing. He said in about a half an hour, he goes, that rental car place is going to be swarming with FBI agents asking, <laughs> why did you rent him a car and where is it going? Right. Right. Uh, so, uh, this, you know, I was mentioning earlier about John and Yoko coming to New York. So there's a lot of things happening in New York city in 1971. One is, is, Bob Dylan moves back to New York after living in Woodstock for many years. And uh, Dylan is being harassed by people like A.J. Weberman for not being political enough. So one of the things that Bob does is he writes this incredible song called George Jackson about a, you know, black power, black Panther guy who was murdered in San Quentin prison that uh, year earlier. And when Lennon hears, John Lennon hears the song George Jackson, he's like, oh, my God. He goes, Dylan's getting political again. And people are getting very, very excited about Bob being back in Manhattan and sort of plugging into things. Meanwhile, Ginsey had always been obsessed with Dylan and always, Ginsey, you know, he'd had all the success as a poet, but he, he always kind of wanted to be a little bit of a rock star. Right. He convinces Dylan to go into the studio and they do half an album together with 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 Ginzi obviously providing lyrics and vocals and Bob writing the music and singing along. And so what we just heard was this anti-Nixon, anti-Vietnam War protest song called Going to San Diego with, with Ginsburg on vocals and Bob on guitar. And, you know, also in their orbit at this time is Ruben because basically Ruben has this idea the voting age has just been reduced from 21 to 18. And so... Ruben has John and Yoko convinced that they travel around the country playing free concerts and then getting people to register to vote. And they were really trying to uh, rope Dylan into this. Now, we anyone who knows Dylan knows Dylan would never do a political uh, tour like this. But nevertheless, in my book, 
is uh, a great interview with Jerry Rubin's girlfriend at the time, Kathy Stream, who talks about Dylan surprisingly showing up at Rubin's apartment out of the blue. And, uh, and you know, there's a complete uh, uh, transcription of their conversation right. and that kind of stuff. So so there's there's a lot of really incredible six degrees of separation. It turns out that Norman Mailer was a big fan of Jerry Rubin's, and there's all kinds of Norman Mailer, Jerry Rubin stories in my book. Uh, we were talking about Phil Oaks. Uh, Phil and Jerry were incredibly tight. Um, so yeah, it was it was really uh, you know magical time. Uh, and and what was uh, you know part of that? You know the Phil Oaks story has a very tragic part to it. Uh, um, he never quite got the success that he probably deserved, and also in his later years uh, suffered. Uh, from depression and uh, being bipolar, uh, and then coupled with uh, some snubs by Dylan not getting invited on the Rolling Thunder tour and whatever, ended up uh, hanging himself in his sister's uh, apartment Gosh. in, in yeah. Queens, which was really sad. Yeah. Uh, and so you have a lot of that. It's a very interesting book. I would want to uh, recommend everybody out there that's interested in... In the Times, uh, American protest to get Pat Thomas's book. Did it, Jerry Ruman, an American revolutionary. Pat, we got a couple minutes left. Let's uh, segue into how Jerry Rubin ended up on Wall Street. Yeah, I, I want to talk about that. A lot of people think that Jerry became a Republican. He he was a liberal Democrat. People think he supported Reagan. He never supported Reagan. Basically, Jerry put on a suit and tie and he showed up at Wall Street. And the other, the other myth, fake news, is that Jerry was not a stockbroker. He was not trying to get people to invest in Exxon or Shell or Bell Helicopters or anything like that. Jerry was actually marketing solar panels, green energy, and ecology in 1980 on Wall Street when nobody wanted to know about it. Hmm. And, and way, so Jerry, way ahead of his time. Way ahead of his time. And so... You know, the fact that Jerry put on a suit and a tie, the fact that, yes, Jerry was part of what became known as the yuppie movement, but Jerry was leading a very progressive, very liberal wing of, uh, of the whole yuppie thing. And, and Jerry actually, you know, my first book about the Black Panthers, I talk about this. You know, the Panthers by the early 70s are running for mayor and city council in Oakland because they realize that, you know, for better or for worse, change comes from within. Right. right. And so Jerry, yeah, sure, Jerry wanted to make money. He, you know, he was in his 40s, wanted to have a nice house, a nice car. But Jerry realized the change came from within, and he was kind of leading his own little, you know, micro, micro, uh, macro revolution kind of from the inside out. And a lot of people do not know that. They think that Jerry was just on Wall Street, you know, being uh, a jerk. And uh, when I was skimming the book, worked for a firm called John Muir Investments, which I had to think has something to do with the great John Muir, who's got a great national park named after him north of San Francisco. We just have a few seconds left, Pat, here. How can people track down the book? What's your website? Give us the info. Okay. Uh, the book is, again, we've mentioned it a million times. It's called Did It? Jerry Room, an American Revolutionary. It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble websites. Uh, it's published by Fanographics. You can get it on their website. Uh, any decent bookstore can order it. Uh, it's not that hard to find. If you if you just Google the book title, Jerry Rubin did it, uh, I'm sure there's about a half a dozen ways you can get it. Um, yeah. Well, Pat, thank you so much for your time today. Have a wonderful 4th of July weekend. Uh, you're a patriot in my eyes. And uh, always enjoy speaking with you, my friend. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by the great Brett Johnson right here at AM 950 Studios. Watch my TV show, Wall of Power TV, every Saturday night, Comcast Channel 6 at 8 and 11.30 p.m. or stream from mcn6.org. Happy Fourth of July weekend, everybody. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. Peace.